Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations about art and culture, you might want to check out the newest releases from David's Werner Books, where we've published award-winning titles on Diane Arbus, Yayoi Kusama, and Carrie James Marshall, in addition to Ekphrasis, the critically acclaimed series of texts on art. This season, look out for books from the likes of Catherine Bernhardt, Noah Davis, and Marcel Zama, as well as new additions to the beloved Ekphrasis series. Visit davidswernerbooks.com to learn more. From David Zwerner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think. Don always said, to see the work, you have to really live with it. Going into a museum and seeing it, you know, for three seconds doesn't count. So in, in essence, Marfa is, is, is Don saying, okay, here's the work, here's a chair, <laughs> you know, just live with it for a while. So I just found a way to make my own way of speaking and my own way of learning become one stream of language, you know, and so my poem sounds like me so that you don't know I'm trying to say something intelligent. I'm Lucas Werner, and every episode features a conversation. We're taking artists, writers, philosophers, designers, and musicians, and putting them in conversation with each other to explore what it means to make things today. This episode features the curator Flavin Judd and the writer and poet Eileen Miles. I thought that maybe you guys could just talk a little bit about how you know each other before we dive into anything else. I'm always curious to hear how people meet. When I was in college, I bought a whole handful of semiotext e-books. And so um, amongst the Virilio and the Baudrillard and, and all these French theory people, there was Eileen's... Uh, book and so that's the first book poetry book I ever bought and my first introduction to Eileen yeah I, I, I had the really good fortune of having a poetry book that I couldn't get published for years and Semiotext did it who had never done a poetry book so it was like a great weird context and that was the tendril you know right total accident uh -huh. but but literally it was just you know Marfa is is a tiny town and right. you know and it, there tends to be if you're in town you go to events and you tend to meet. And you drink coffee and that's, that's what happens. This was something that I kind of wanted to ask about later, but maybe natural moment is, you know, the way Marfa has changed in the public imagination, which is just a fact, you know, and it's, it's not something that necessarily needs to be dwelt on. But I'm just curious, having been there a long time, how you feel about that? I mean, what, what, what has, how have you seen it actually change and how has it changed in the way people are thinking about it, talking about it? interacting with it in my case since i've been there you know my whole life it's it's kind of like two towns underneath you have the old marfa and it's and it's and it's ranching community and people have been there for generations and then there's a layer on top which is kind of like the hamptons and there's 20 different kinds of coffee but you still can't draw you know buy batteries when you need them and stuff like that so it's uh it's a schizophrenic town um, but then we have positive things like Eileen and Honey, her dog, moves to town, and it's great. Right, so. right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my long history, which is five years, um, is kind of like is kind of like New York in a way that I, you know, New York in five years really changed fast. It's sort of like suddenly the thing that used to happen over decades seems to happen really swiftly. And I would say that about what I know of Marfa, mm. which is that, and people always say to me, "Oh, you really, you know, you came in 2014. You didn't see." Marfa, <laughs> you know, but I feel that I've seen, you know, and it, there was obviously a place that was constructed for me in my imagination where I wanted to 
go and do a reading and visit. Like all my art world friends were always going to Marfa. And I was like, I want to go to Marfa. And I was waiting for the invitation. And then happily, I got it from Lannan. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the place. And I did the thing that everybody does. But I actually did it, which was, I'm going to buy a house. And then I think I found supposedly the last cheap house in Marfa, you know, and began to live there. But in those five years, it really has. It's changed, it's changed more. There's, yeah, there's yeah, a hotel. Changed. There's a bookstore that moved. There's, you know, just like places have closed. People, prices have gone up. Um, yeah. um, the great place where you walk your dog is no longer open to the public because so <laughs> right. many assholes mm. have come and invaded yeah. the backyard of the people who you know, kind of take care of the land. When you got there the first time, what was it? I mean, we, you know, I've heard that one hears this from different artists, obviously Don Judd, most of all, but what is it about? What was it about Marfa? You've been all over America that made you think, okay, this is the place and I'm going to find the cheap, last cheap house and buy it. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I, for me, a lot of it is, it's, it's, well, there's a number of things, but one is the past presentness of it, you know, because it's like the bank, the library, there's a whole kind of strata of, of little small town institutions that remind me exactly of where I grew up in Massachusetts in the 50s and 60s. It's sort of like, it's just, it's analog on a certain level. And it's very, I find it very comforting, you know, right. it's just like. It's a, it has a, a generalness mm -hmm. that, that is, uh, that it still has. Would, that's the rare thing about Marfa. And that's, that's one of the reasons Don chose it is that. Since it um, since its economy collapsed right after World War II, it kind of got stuck in the fifties, and it so it retained all these elements that are that usually get you know erased in in towns where there's a lot of still economic activity. So it really has this kind of format um, that little towns used to, all over the country used to have and don't anymore necessarily. Yeah, so it's, so it's very moving. And then literally for me, it was like I was kind of looking for a place to get away. Like I live in a tiny Rensselaer apartment in New York, you know. So it's just like I need space and there's always, you know. And so I was wanting to find a place where I went to. And, and, and the weird combination of like there's a social art life in Marfa, but happily nobody really gives a shit if you go to anything. If You, you could be there. Mm -hmm. You could be there for weeks and nobody knows you're in town. So you can both hole up in your space and get work done. And then there's the big landscape and the kind of incredible, I don't know, the, the romance of the land, which is to my East Coast eyes is so far out and so exciting and so not about me that the impersonality makes it a really great place to work. And then the fact that you won't die of loneliness because I was single when I, you know, first came there, and I was like, okay, I won't freak out here, and yet I can hole up, and that's an amazing. We'll, we'll take care of you. We'll take care <laughs> of you, Eileen. Yeah. And it's true. So yeah. the impersonality, I thought, was interesting. That that makes it easier for you to work. Yeah. Would you say something more? Because of course, your your personal life comes into your work. But if you're like, it's like I grew up in Boston. I probably couldn't. There would be a very particular thing I would write in Boston. Even New York is too laden with meaning and and resonance There's and a blankness sentimentality. Too. Yeah, and a, and a landscape that really is not yours. That is so not New England. It is so not New York. It's this other hmm. scale of of existence. and it's not taking your symbolism. Right. It's just not going to accept it. Just, so mm -hmm. yeah, everything it really gives back. you space to think about other things. Yeah. Will you talk a little bit about, I mean, you were there really young, right? I mean, early, you have early early memories of Marfa, early experiences there. I mean, lots. Lots, yes. yeah. I, I mean, we, we went there the first time when I was four or something. So, yeah. What, actually, what age did you move there? Well, we moved in, in, in 
chunks. First, it was uh, Don just rented a really small house within town. Um, Where my girlfriend, which my girlfriend now owns. Yes, wow. probably. <laughs> oh, exactly. Right? Exactly. Proud to say. Yeah. And, um, and well, she has a name, but we don't have to. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> Uh, the house was was called the Deanda House. Anyway, and so that was just a summer place, um, and it, it was a substitute for Baja California, and we couldn't go to Baja California anymore because you couldn't bring art back and forth, and you couldn't buy property, and it was impossible. Mm -hmm. So um, Mar Marfa was the Baja substitute. Did you go to high school in Marfa? I went to elementary school, uh, but not high school. High school was in New York. Uh. You know, looking back and thinking about Donald Judd Writings, volume from 2016, and then this new book, uh, Judd Interviews, do you see that his work shifted in a significant way once Marfa became part of or the, the center of his life? The things that started happening, and it's really, you don't want to attribute the work to, to circumstances really, but the, the thing that did change was Don started working on the large-scale pl large plywood pieces um, at, around the time that um, we started going to, to Marfa. And, you know, there might be a connection and there might not. Um, but certainly they, 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 um, came out at the same time as for instance, buying the, moving all the, inf all the old works into the block and setting up the block so, mm -hmm. so that it, those pieces could be seen. So, and what about the outdoor works, the, the Corten works, were those happening before? That was also very much, uh, that's later. The Corten works are, were, really, were, right. were, were kind of late seventies and 80s so that's much later right yeah. but i imagine that that's something that would have been more difficult to pull off without the kind of marfa environment or yeah the corten is the only complete. material it's the only material that don actually hired fabricators within walking distance to consistently make right and unfortunately you know he died before that could keep going but um uh, and in a weird way he was on his second wind or whatever you want to call it when he died because mm -hmm. there was really a lot going on. The work was changing a lot and the architecture was really happening. So, right. Yeah. As an artist for you, um, you know, was, was Don someone who was on your radar, obviously pre-Marfa, but in what way was he part of your imagination or inner life as a New York artist, which he also was? I mean, yourself as a New York writer. I mean, I, I came to New York in the 70s and, and work that, that I think, the kind of work that that he was doing in a world that embraces that kind of work was what was kind of happening in New York in the seventies, you know, and so and 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 it, I actually I didn't quite get it. it. I just thought, how is this art? I mean, I really was like the joke. One of the jokes about Marfa right now is that people who are staying in the hotel say, "What is Marfa? What is there to do to Marfa?" And they get sent to Chinati, and then they come back, and they were like really mad. They were like, "I thought it was going to be art." You know, and I have to say, I was a little bit like that when I got to New York. And I think Judd's work was just part of what I didn't quite get. And, you know, that changed over the years. But the thing I will say is that the thing that's cool and has been incredible about coming to Marfa is the work actually looks so right there. You know, I would say that a layer of like really relishing the work and understanding it and being excited about it has happened in Marfa by seeing work be outside and it have this kind of changeability and this kind of presentness that is so exciting and real about the work. So in a way, it's sort of like Marfa for me sort of explains what Judd is or was. Well, Don always said, you know, you, to see the work, you have to really live with it. It doesn't, going into a museum and seeing it, you know, for three seconds doesn't count. Right. So in, in essence, Marfa is, is, is Don saying, okay, here's the work, here's a chair, <laughs> you know, just live with it for a while, come right. back, go, go away, come back, go away, come back. It's against the commodification of art, it's against the museumification of art. Right. 
You know, I was always curious how Don picked the artists that he really wanted to have sort of permanent presentations in and around Marfa. Uh, Chamberlain, in a funny way, uh, when I went to Marfa, I drove through the South. And of course, as you're driving, you see all these sort of car cemeteries along the way, or you see many of them, scrapyards, junkyards. And so when you when I, when you then arrive there and you see Chamberlain, it sort of really made sense to me as a, as a sort of sculptural practice in that context. Mm-hmm. And Dan Flavin made less sense to me in that context, you know, like it was harder for me to be in those in those dark rooms. And so I'm just curious. If because you, the context doesn't matter in that sense. It mattered, What mattered to Don was the radicality of the artists. And in that sense, for instance, mm-hmm. Ilya Kabakov is there who makes no sense aesthetically. He's not a minimalist. Neither is Chamberlain. Right. Um, and that's because it, that doesn't matter. The categories don't matter. Um, the personalities don't matter. It just matters what if the work is really good and radical. And in Don's opinion, these were the radical artists. And there were many more, but you just can't use them all. So right. Don is a writer. Have you, I mean, what, what is your feeling? I'm sort of curious always with writers, what you're feeling about his pro style is, um, what you're feeling about his, his general approaches, uh, if you're drawn to it, Eileen, or what sort of, how do you react to him as a writer? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think the writing's amazing. I mean, I may be more excited about the writing than, than any of it in a way. You you're know? excused. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was like, as I was arcing with that sentence, I was like, okay, you're, this is my surrealism moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Um, we'll have to but, cut that one out. <laughs> because it's a weird combination of sort of totemic and playful, and it's really careful. And I mean, it kind of reminds me of a few things, like Warhol's interviews, which I think are so vernacular, and I think that's there. And then Charles Olson, mm-hmm. oh, who yeah. is so, like, pronouncing, you know, and, um, and Stein, who was like, this is it, you know. So it's just like all those things happen in the right writing and interfere with each other in a way that's very beautiful. You know, and I think there, I mean, weirdly, I think there is a projected permanence to it, which is like, wow, really? You think you believe that? And yet the, it, there's a certain kind of awe in seeing a writer. It's like, that's where he's a little bit like Stein saying like, really, really the balls to say that that's kind of like impossible. And whether it's, the, whether it's true or not, it's like the, the desire to present this and say, this is what I want. And this is the thing I imagine is, is, is really kind of inspiring i was trying to think of like where the intersection of eileen and don is and like okay one's language one's three-dimensional objects and what is the you know where is the venn diagram Mm -hmm. intersect and it's eileen's writing is such is is brutally honest and it's clear and i was like exact that's exactly what it is it's 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 in the same way that you know don was making art in a certain way because he he, it couldn't contradict anything that he knew or that was known or that was experienced. And it, he didn't, you know, not, he didn't want to add more necessarily, but it was an attempt to be brutally honest and to care about, about space and time and being in the present. Mm. And, and in the, in the, there, there are phrases in Eileen's writings that are very, like very specific and small about light and about, objects and about people like the guest gestures of people and it's it's very much about the here and now and, and that's exactly what don's art is about i mean i, f- I find it, it it's very american writing you know right, which is a right. very kind of developing vernacular yeah i mean i i definitely i i read it too and i had the same reaction as you flavin that there's a real um directness to both of your writing right it's not mincing words there's no um 
there's no sort of fear of coming off the wrong way. It's it's just a sort of stating what you feel about something. There's no fear. There's yeah. no fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deeply yeah. fearless writing. Yeah. And I think and, and real conviction, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that kind of conviction is very That's not easy to do. No. It's, it doesn't yeah, it doesn't really hard. Yeah. 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 But I think it comes with a kind of redundancy, you know, that is in the work yes. too. Yes. It's like yes. restating yes. things and, and it's making practice. sure. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, a funny comparison, too, that I have to make is that I, I just, I am a, a devotee of 12-step programs, mm-hmm. and they have tomes, you know, like right. Bill W. or somebody, a bunch of people wrote these books that were like, it's sort of like how it works and explaining this institution, right. which creates a state in which people participate. And then, you know, and it has, it, it, it's deeply an American vernacular. Right, and I right, think weirdly, right. there's a whole, there's a funny Nobody, I mean, nobody's written that piece, and I don't want to write it either. But yes, nobody's do. written the relationship between twelve step program and Judd Tones. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might commission that one. Yes. that'll be go the next book it. in the uh-huh. series. There you go, Lucas. Yeah, yeah I, I guess sp- speaking about style, I'm curious to hear a little bit how you feel your approach to writing developed. I mean, Don gives a lot of credit to philosophy in many of the interviews. It's- very much in yes. there. You know, he, he talks he, about his training as a philosopher, yes. the language of philosophers, the kind of real direct. It's about like, logic. Yes. And the, the, the whole work is based on symbolic logic, like a book he gave Rainer, gave Rainer when she was like 10 years old and couldn't read it at right. all. But that was, it was important to him that, you know, if A, then B, and maybe not C. I mean, right. this was all like, okay, that's how you think. Yeah. And so that's what he applied to every, everything, and the writing came from that. And so that's really what I'm asking, sort of if there is a philosophical underpinning to the way you are, and I mean that in the most, in the broadest way possible, um, I would just be curious to hear about that. Well, though. I bet, though I, I have to say, I, one of the books I've never read is, or one of the writers I've never read is William James. But I've read, I've read Gertrude Stein, and she was his student, Yeah, you know, and her whole thing about, I mean, like she was almost a doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, and she was like very involved with the circulation of blood in the body. And then she was trying to establish a kind of presentness and language. Yeah. And so all her reputi- um, repetition is about that, you know, and her kind of explaining the now and writing being a kind of voice print. And so there was a way, I mean, like I found Gertrude Stein's lecture in America in a, in a used bookstore in Havitt Square when I was in my 20s. Oh, wow. And and I didn't know what it was. I thought I, I sort of somehow thought Gertrude Stein, Gertrude Lawrence. I, it was just like, who is this Gertrude? And I bought the book and it just became important for me also because she was doing this kind of like stating her own her own value her own genius Mm -hmm. and explaining language and a lot of it was explaining how language changes from the people and from the masses and from the underclass changes the language it's not you know it's not from the top you know so I just early on there was a philosophy of of synthesis and received philosophy and and then by the time I was reading, you know, Warhol's interviews were really important and his just totally great way of talking, which was very New York school poetry. Mm-hmm. So I just found a way to make my own way of speaking and my own way of learning become one stream of language, you know. And mm-hmm. so my poem sounds like me so that you don't know I'm trying to say something intelligent. Right. I just am, that, you know. That is such an achievement. Yes. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, what you're saying about conventions of language is something that I notice in Don's writing, too. He's not concerned with conventional syntax, with conventional spelling, even in some cases. I mean, we've left the orthography the same, I think, in, in part to prove that when he says any place, one word, he means any place, one word. Like right. that is what he's trying to, whatever he's trying to communicate mm-hmm. with that unit, yeah. he is communicating, yeah. you know? And I certainly felt that, one feels that in your writing too, there's there's less of an interest in 
kind of meeting the conventional norms mm -hmm. of, you know, whatever it is, pronouncement, what, what, whatever it is. I, I think about the sort of I, me, you're not concerned about having the subject always speak of him or her themselves as I, uh -huh. but it can be me or her or what, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a subverting that. And, but I, I think, I think in both cases, sorry to speak for Eileen, but I think <laughs> in <ahead>. both cases <laughs> to, to build oneself up as an individual in, in kind of in the way that Eileen just mentioned, that is to be against the convention. You know, at the risk of it, of it going to becoming too abstract, maybe it's, for me, it might be worth, and maybe you guys agree or not, thinking a little bit about how that happens, because uh, meaning how one crafts a life where a degree of individuality becomes the kind of staple, mm -hmm. um, because it's not the case for most people, I would say. That's like a, that's a hard state. And how does that, call it strength or whatever it is, develop? Or, or what does it look like in development? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it, 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 just to be is to, um, is to be a combination of will and luck. You know, because I think you can want things and imagine things and dream things and it still doesn't work, you know, and, and then, uh, you know, and yet, you know, I think if you have something that and a unique mix, then, you know, it's there's a courage of asserting things and they will, you know, it's fun. I mean, like when I, when I ran for president in 1990, can you please do that again? <laughs> we yeah. desperately that. need that. It, you, I just realized this thing about being, you, you could put certain things out in public and you think, okay, this is ludicrous. And you discovered that, uh, you know, or I've, I've made books like this. Like I think, how could this book put possibly work? And then you real, then you f quickly find out who it does work for, right? You know, so that when you make yourself public, you become this kind of sticky thing, right? And you see what does. But it I, I to think that. that's exactly. I mean, there are a lot of, for instance, Judd works that he he thought up, and then they were made, and then he saw them. So mm -hmm. in his case, it's like some worked and some didn't. He right. didn't know ahead of time. It was yeah. a total jump into the unknown right. and and you have to make all these decisions and either you're make all these decisions the thousands of decisions you make every day either you're making them or they're made for you mm -hmm. and you just have to figure out which ones are important the kind of deliberate being deliberate about all those decisions you, it's yeah. paying attention i mean yeah. don's artwork is about paying attention that's interesting so and that's probably also when you said presentness a couple of times, but that's really what you're talking about in some ways is if you really pay attention to something, you are present with the object. Right. right? I mean, like, one of the, one of the things about Don is that his complete, you know, lack of religion or, or, and, and, and the whole schools of philosophy was that, well, this is all we get. And this is the most amazing thing we'll ever see by far. And the thing that, the thing that is seemingly so banal to us is actually the most amazing thing we can experience. So it's, we should pay attention to it. Right. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I just want to comment on one a thing I, I actually also enjoy about the writing of Judd and, and probably something I'm excited about my own. The courage to talk badly in public about <laughs> other artists and curators and institutions. <laughs> it's just like people, I mean, I think this, I mean, especially now, I mean, as a sense that publicly we don't, we don't shit talk because it'll come back to you and it'll take something away. And yeah. I mean, one of my favorite writers, Roberta Bolano, oh, was... Yeah really willing to talk about certain icons of Latin American literature and say, oh, their work is horrible. Yeah. You know, and it's sort of like- but that's so important. It's so important, it's so important to have this critical society, yeah. you know. You can do it politely, but it's uh -huh. still really important. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I think that's also where Don is quite good, that he's good at not holding someone accountable for only one specific body. Like he'll go in and look at a body of work and say, this is bad. 
this work is bad. He has definite reasons why work is exactly. bad. Exactly. Yes. But it doesn't mean that you're not capable of making something good later or that, you know what I mean? Like it's not, not at it's all. To, it's not totalizing. And he's also clearly stating many, many, many times it's his own personal opinion and everybody should have their own. Yeah. So, Except he does say in that last interview, I believe I have a perfect eye. Right. <laughs> Whoa. That's <laughs> amazing. That pretty amazing. He said, they're talking about investing in art and Chase developing this art investment fund at that last interview. And he's like, you know what? I just have to say, I, if it were me, it would be successful. But Chase will fail because they're just, they're bad at investing money too. They've lost so much well, money. Well, he was right, wasn't he? <laughs> exactly. Uh -huh. It's like, if I had had a little bit of cash 10 years ago, I would have had a great Reinhardt painting. I would have had this. I would have had that. I have a perfect eye. <laughs> that was pretty incredible. He's right. You know, one thing that I like about these last interviews is they start to show another side, I think, to Don than the one that is sort of in the public imagination, which is quite austere. And I'm wondering if that's, I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about that other side from you, whether it's him talking more loosely about whatever, you know, he talks very freely about a lot of things. And I don't think we experience him that way or most audiences experience him that way. One of the things you can get since if, if you have the misfortune to read the entire book all the way through, hmm. one of the things you get is you've done a few times. <laughs> yes, which I've done now a couple of times. One of the things you get is he's constantly asked the same questions right. over and over and over and over. So that means whatever public is out there, they get the same answers over and over and over again. And I think that's, you know, all you have to do is ask different questions and you'll hmm. get different answers. So, but that's what, you know. Journalists are as lazy as anybody else, so they ask mm. the same questions. So I'm not surprised that he's, you know, a, a nice, fuzzy, warm person with lots of different angles. It's normal yeah. to me. It's just, okay, maybe new to, news to other, other people, but... Yeah. Weird question, but since we have you here, um, what was he like in a kind of interpersonal, in moments of downtime, private, like, what were those interactions like? I'm guessing saying, like, what was he like <laughs> as a person? You I know, don't I, know how to answer that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was a normal guy. Yeah. Uh, warm, you know, d distant. Let's put it this way. He was very warm, had a really good sense of humor, but very serious about working. And he liked what he liked, and he was not going to waste his time, you know, I don't know, going to openings and stuff like that, because right. he knew he, if he didn't like the work well before. Right. You know, is that something, Eileen, that you think about in, just in terms of, the, the persona that is constructed for someone from the outside based on whatever it is, interviews, perceptions, constructions, and the kind of inner life that you perceive in yourself? Well, I, I think at a certain point when you start to have a, a body of work, people start to talk to it all the time, and you happen to be there. It's a, <laughs> right. it's a weird experience. Yeah, you just happen to be there. That's right. a good way. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that's, yeah, that's, that is awkward. And then, you know, I think... All you can do is try and perform what it is that's actually going on now and not worry about, you know, fulfilling that or, or feeling compelled to, to be that. I mean, what's interesting in your case, of course, is that it's, it's not a secret that, of course, now with, you know, Amazon shows and there's sort of like a, a there's a whole mainstream uh -huh. kind of um, whatever, not assumption of your whatever you've been doing for a very long time, but a, a renewed appreciation and a kind of taking on in the mainstream of that. I'm mm -hmm. curious, yeah, I mean, do you, are you happy about that? Are you not, I mean, do you even think about it, uh, you know? Well, I mean, I think it's, I think it's cool. I think it's really funny if, if young, a young person comes up to you and sort of tells you that they know your work because of a TV show. Right. You know, I mean, I, I feel like that's success as an American poet. Oh, 
I think. Definitely. You you, you have one of very few, I would say. Yeah. No, I mean, because growing up, it's like TV was the most informing art form of my generation. I was just like, I grew up in that first generation of television. And, 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 and that it's evolved as a form means that, that, that we can evolve to some extent with it, which I think is, you know, I mean, not all, I mean, obviously I think if we want to go to what, what, you know, like when TV came to Marfa, it was a weird, it was a weird collision and one that didn't actually take. What do you know? mean by that when TV came to Marfa? Well, you know, I mean, shall we talk about yes, I love ahead. Dick, why not? Which I think was so much about Judd, which right. is really funny. <laughs> You know, I think that the I just, thing, I just read the book. So the book, I love the book. I think the book is a masterpiece, you know, and I think one episode of the show was really good. But but I think the thing that was so funny was that there was this compulsion to to do Judd, you know, out of out of this male character in the book. Dick, they just thought the only way to do it was to to kind of conflate the two. Or yeah. Right? Yeah. Which was not which was interesting, but not successful. You know, I certainly feel having not been someone who grew up watching much TV or movies for that matter, that what is being made, there's a lot of bad things being made, but there is also some really interesting stuff being made. Sure. And um, and I'm, I mean, is that a medium that you pay attention to in your own work or in your sort of creative life? I mean, I've even, I've even, you know, written a couple of pilot. I mean, I just, the thing, it's, it's a kind of a, it, it's the fact of that world. I mean, I can't help, I'm very excited about the existence of it. Like, I, of course, I watch shows obsessively, Succession most recently. Right, it's yeah. kind of an amazing um, kind of critique of our moment and it's funny and it's horrifying and, yeah. and so on. But it's like, but I think that, that, that there just is this kind of Dickensian thing where we really have the serial novel occurring on yes, yes, television. Exactly right. I mean, everybody I know, every writer, every artist I know struggles with that they go through periods where they're reading a lot and then you go through periods where you're just obsessing on some show and you're just like i'm <laughs> jonesing for it i'm getting up in the morning and i'm watching that right right and it's right. crazy you know and so we, the result is that i've even you know been invited in halfway to that you know one of my books got optioned i became a member of the writers guild i wrote a screenplay i've written a couple of pilots what was don's i mean he talks about it a little bit but don's relationship to tv i mean was there was there TV it's out good, in Marfa? It's a good question. This is a really good question. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't have a TV until Nixon was getting impeached, and that's when we got a TV. Huh. Got it. Was, was it, it because it was bad? Were you were you one of those households where yeah. children are not watched? Allowed it was to watch? just like yeah, was it was like just that. like the box that you didn't need, and and you know, so we didn't have one. Did you later become one of those people who couldn't stop watching television? I watched. I I became yes. I watched monster movies after school, like religiously yeah so like i don't know three o'clock creature feature or whatever it was yeah. and because every kid who was not allowed to watch television it became their main became, drug yeah, yeah i've yeah, dated yeah. them it's Completely. just like yeah yeah because yeah. yeah. i wasn't and i have to say i never really I'll you watch missed it, it. time but you missed i missed it. it yeah maybe huh. i missed now it. now there's too many too much stuff now you just yeah. have to tune it out it's weird yeah. now yeah yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, i think it's weird but if in a funny way there's so much that you can actually find something that speaks to you Yes. Oh, yeah. Typically, like you find one thing because there. there's such a diversity. Yeah. Yeah. So much being made that eventually you find something interesting. There's going to be yeah. highbrow stuff, lowbrow stuff. It's yeah. So much more. But what's weird, or I can't help thinking of this thought, is that it somehow replaces the city. Huh. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Because when you say that, exactly what you said is the way I felt about New York when I came to oh, it. Wow. And I still feel to some extent that it's like whatever I want, it's here. Right. You know? And I think that people don't necessarily. I don't want to get all generational. I, I hate that when people yeah. like young people today, because I think there are young people who love the city, you know, but I think that there also is a sense that people turn towards their machine. I think about this a lot. And I wonder, 
ironically, poetry is sort of coming back again hugely. And I think Uh it's in part because, and this sounds silly, that the digestibility of poetry as opposed to long-form prose, meaning it's just easier to interact with a bunch of short poems and feel something immediate and feel it powerfully. And I think, weirdly enough, that this new generation of readers will be real readers and writers of poetry, but maybe less uh-huh. of, you know, long-form novels, you know, things like that. Right, and pe- because people are texting and people exactly. are tweeting, and those are those are like poems. And I think when novels become more like accumulations of smaller things, it it's will. like stylistically we just have to think of different ways to construct. Yeah. You know. What's, uh, what are you working on? What's the kind of, what's been occupying you? Well, I know, I just, I mean, I just finished, uh, well, I won't even talk yes. about it. I just finished giving a talk that made me completely crazy. Um, and and um, so I won't, yeah, I won't talk about that. But um, I'm, I'm writing a new novel. I'm starting a new novel. And I want, and the only thing I can say about it is that I want it to be mammoth. I just, you know, because I have not read Nausgaard, you know, and I feel like I've heard too many, you know, and it's just, there's so many, you know, works of giant male genius. And I just think I'm really interested in writing a thousand page book. Mm-hmm. So whether I can do that or not, I don't know. But that's that's my task this year. So I'm sort of not writing. I'm, I'm You're officially stick, sticking to the mammoth project. Yeah, I'm officially. I mean, I did it for the first time. Somebody, I you know, I write for different magazines and stuff. And I was offered a little gig the other day, and I turned. I tried to turn it over to three amazing female sci-fi writers I met in Germany, and said they might like to do this. But I'm taking a year off. You know, and wow. so I said that for the first time, and I'm kind of excited. All right, so you yeah. have a year to write the Mammoth Project. Well, I figure three pages a day—that's right. a thousand. That's that's. I thousand. haven't read Nausgaard either, so I'm totally. Three pages a day is a, is a high clip, though. I mean, you, that's like. You, I don't. You think write so. quickly. Yeah, 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 yeah. You write pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah, but it could be ugly too. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to that when it yeah when comes it, out. Uh, Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. You can find out more about the artists on this series by going to davidswerner.com slash dialogues. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does help other people discover the show. I'm Lucas Werner. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you join us again next time.